0: Tonight, if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. I want us to look at a section of scripture there that uh, gives us some insights into the life of Jesus and, well, challenges us to be more like him. You know, we're disciples. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. And we're trying to be more and more like him. And the only way we can do that is get to know who he was and get to know what he did and and then I can model my life uh, more closely to what he was and who he was. In Luke chapters 4, uh, th- there's a really interesting story that I, I think that uh, has some practical lessons that we can glean from. Uh, I-, I don't want to read the entire chapter, but I want to give you a preview of what takes place in this section. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14, beginning... Uh, Jesus has just been tempted by Satan. And he has come through that and he's come home. He's come home to Nazareth, his hometown. And um, so this is like right when he starts preaching. Prior to this, he's not been a preacher. He's been a carpenter and and he's starting to preach. And, and he stands up in the synagogue and he preaches and he reads this scripture and, and he gets done and people were impressed with what he had to say. He preached a message of grace. They liked it until he applied it. And then they didn't want to hear what he had to say and they wanted to kill him. And uh, Jesus left and then went on and continued preaching. And that's that's the rundown through verse 31 in a very brief uh, nutshell. But what I'd like to do is to go back a little slower... And look at some of these things that uh, took place in this section and see if we can't draw some lessons from it. One of the early, uh, one of the reasons the early church grew is I believe summed up in a passage in Acts chapter 19 verse 17. It says that the disciples magnified Jesus. Uh, To magnify means you make bigger. Maybe some of you use a magnifying glass every once in a while. And, and uh, you know, bifocals are fine for reading when it's this close. But when it gets this close, you have to flip your glasses off to be able to see up close. You need some things that magnify in order to make the words bigger. And what we need to be doing as disciples of Jesus in this community is magnifying Jesus. Let's make Jesus bigger than life. Let's make him so large that people don't miss him. Um, and, and we don't do that through, you know, novelty things and, and through little cute things. We, we do that through what Justin was talking about this morning. We, we live out his lordship in our daily life. We, we teach what he's taught and, and we live what he taught. And, and that magnifies Jesus. I think that, um, there has been the notion among some, some among us that we've got to kind of just slip Jesus in. We got to package him just right. And, and we'll, we'll slip him in at the end unsuspectingly. And, um, you know, everybody will, will be all right with that. But if we start with Jesus, we're going to turn people off. I I think the exact opposite's the case. I I'm, I'm not criticizing anybody's job. I, I know that this is what what it is and and people are trained to do certain things, but I, Kim and I had a couple come to us one time and they said, "Um, we really need to talk to you about something." Okay. Um what well, what is it? Well, uh, we we'd rather not talk about it here. Um can we can we just meet like maybe Thursday night and talk about it? Okay. We were like, what in the world? I mean, are we in trouble? Did the kids do something? You know, what is going on? And, and so we, we met with them and we began talking and talking and finally I started catching on. I thought, I think this is a sales pitch, you know, and, and eventually it was. And Amway came in on the very tail end, you know, of the conversation. And, um, you know, it, I don't think we need to do that with Jesus. I don't need to. I don't think that we need to package something and present it and talk about all the things and then see if we can just slip Jesus in at the end and hope that um, you know it, it'll take. I think Jesus is front center in our preaching. It's who we are as disciples. He's our master. And, and I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of and, and trying to pull one over on anybody. I want them to know this is who we serve. He's my Lord and Savior. And so tonight I want us to look at, I want Jesus to take center stage. Let's look at his life. And let's see what he challenge us, challenges us to do in this uh, section of Scripture. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, I'd like for you to read with me verse 15 and 16. Jesus had just returned uh, to Galilee, verse 14. And he, he had gone through all the surrounding reason, region. He had just come out of that temptation in the wilderness by the devil and it says, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Here's the first point I want you to see. Jesus went to synagogue. Um, we, we use that phrase. I mean, synagogue means, the, the word means assembly. Um, it, it's not really the place. It's kind of like we use the word church today. Church means called out the people, but we refer to buildings as the church. You know, we got to go to church at 6. Well, you know, it's the place, but it's, the, the, it's really the people. And Jesus went to synagogue. He went to that assembly of people. And notice what it says. As it was his custom. Meeting together with God's people was a custom to Jesus. It wasn't a hit and miss thing. It wasn't something that he did every once in a while or, you know, whenever he got the notion or if somebody twisted his arm or or some of the rabbis got on his case and he felt like he needed to go. It was his custom. I would suggest to you that you would do well to make that your custom too. Um, not synagogue in the Jewish sense of the word, but meeting place. The the people. It, this should be our custom: gathering together like we are tonight, uh, getting together with God's people, opening His Word, and seeing what Jesus is calling us to do and to be. That that needs to become our custom. Jesus, you know, we know the verse Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, 25 says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And usually we say it while we're karate chopping, you know, our, our palm. not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching that passage tells us don't forsake the assembling of the saints. That's not just a command. It's not an arbitrary command to make people jump through hoops. I just got to have them do something, so I'll just make up these commands and and see how willing they're to do or how willing they are to do what I tell them to do. Okay, meet together. Let's see. Let's see who will do it. That's not what that's about. Now, God can be arbitrary if he wants to, but this isn't arbitrary. He tells us why in verse 24 that we're to provoke one another to love and to good works. When we come together, we come together to strengthen each other and and we're encouraged by one another. And I learn of good things that happen in your life and, and you can help pick me up when things don't go so well in my life. And And it's that mutual edification that God doesn't want us to miss out on. Jesus didn't want to miss out on it. And so as a Jew... And by the way, you won't read anywhere in Old Testament scriptures where they were commanded to, on every Sabbath day, to assemble together. They were commanded to have a few holy convocations, but this was by choice. I want to meet together with other people and read and study God's word. We need to meet together to read and and study God's word and be encouraged Let's learn from Jesus. If Jesus needed that kind of fellowship, so do we. Obviously, we do. So um, Jesus went to synagogue. Here's the second thing that I know. Jesus knew his Bible. Look at what it says in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, uh, to send me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover the sight to those who are blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus, when he came to synagogue, he said... Let me let me do something. I, I want to um, I want to stand up and, and read. I want I want to read the scripture. How do I know Jesus knew the scriptures? Consider this. Well, first of all, it says that they handed him the book. They didn't have books then. Um, I I know our translations say book, but it comes from a Greek word that that has reference to a scroll. They they had scrolls then. Books weren't, the the codex, those didn't come around until like the 4th century. Um, This is a time when everything was rolled up on those scrolls. And so what they handed to Jesus was a scroll. And keep this in mind. Did they have book chapter verses? No. That was something done... Uh, you know, much later in, in the middle centuries, a thousand years plus after Jesus uh, had lived on the earth, a couple of guys, one put the books in chapter divisions and then another guy came along a couple years, a couple hundred years later and then he put the verses in for us so that we can now say, uh, turn to Isaiah 7, 14. Jesus couldn't do that. He just had a scroll with handwriting on it. And he wanted to read this passage, and he was able to do it. What does that tell you? Jesus knew his Bible. I mean, how would he know where to turn? He had to have been familiar with this well enough that he knew it was there, number one, and he knew where it was in the prophet Isaiah. Wait, how did he have time to do that? He was a carpenter. Uh, he was the son of a carpenter, but he was a carpenter himself. He, he had a job. He was working. He, he wasn't full-time ministry. He didn't go to seminary or Bible college or anything. He, he was a carpenter by trade. And yet this man who worked hard all day and came home like everybody else does, he found time to learn the Scriptures. Luke 2 and verse 52 says that Jesus grew it's not because, I mean, he was human. It's not, well, he was deity and he just knew where to turn. He grew in grace and in knowledge and in favor of, with God and man. Jesus grew. He was human. He learned like we learn. He knew the scriptures. The book of Isaiah, if you look in your Bibles, it has 66 chapters. It, it's called the mini Bibles, in fact. Uh, the first 39 chapters deal with Old Testament Israel, and the last 27 chapters deal with the messianic promises of of the Messiah who would come. Isn't that interesting? Um, the Bible, the Old Testament has 39 books. The last 27 are New Testament. And so, you know, 66 chapters in all, That that's the book of Isaiah. But imagine having a scroll that contains 66 chapters. If, if you held your book of Isaiah up, just pages typed out, That's quite a few pages, 66 chapters. Imagine it handwritten and rolled up, and Jesus just unrolls it to that place where he wants to read, and he reads it, and then he sits down. The custom was in those days that they would come together at the synagogue and they would read uh, the scriptures, there, there would be a, a prayer that would get them started. They would quote together the the passage from Deuteronomy, the Lord our Lord, the Lord our God is one um, God. They, they would quote that, and then somebody would read some scriptures, make some comments about them, sit down. They would have some more reading and so forth and close with a prayer. Jesus got up and read, and I'm sure they were expecting him to comment now. All right, like a sermon. All right, you just read the Scriptures, now expound. Jesus got up, and he read, and what did he do? He just went and sat down. And that brings us really to the third point. First one is that Jesus went to synagogue. He knew his Bible, even though he was a busy man. And the third thing is that he forced people to think. Look at what he said in John chapter, or Luke chapter four, verse 20 and 21. He closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And look, they were expecting more from him. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He whetted their appetite. He teased them. He he read this scripture that talked about a time when the Messiah, it was a messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah, and and a time when he would come, and like they're saying, all right, well, who is it? When is it? When's it going to happen? He doesn't even say anything. He just sits down, and everybody is looking at him. And so when he has their attention, he simply says this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What? What's he saying? I can just hear people and I can see husbands and wives poking each other saying, What? Did he just say what I thought he said? Is he claiming to be the Messiah? Is that what I heard? He was making them think. Jesus did that often. He didn't just like force feed everybody. He spoke in parables over and over again. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, when they asked, Why do you speak in parables? He said, Well, I'll tell you why. I, so that some people will understand what I'm saying, and those who really aren't interested, they'll just say, well, that's a bunch of nonsense. And, and they won't. he What he was saying is, you're going to have to work for it. You know, this will help you if you'll think about it, mull it over and consider it, but if you're not willing to do that kind of thought and study and diligence, won't mean a thing to you. That's what Jesus did. Well, on one occasion, well, on many occasions, he did that very thing to the Pharisees and, you know, left them wondering, what, what was he saying? Was he talking about us? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says that faith, um, is, is, uh, something that we must have. And if we expect to go to heaven, we have to have faith. And that faith has to be a faith that in which we seek God diligently it's the person who diligently seeks God that person will be rewarded with heaven Jesus said you got some work to do I'm going to tell you something and I'm going to tell you today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and you're going to have to try to figure out what I mean by that what am I saying put two and two together And and arrive at your conclusion. Jesus encouraged people to think. Jesus preached the message of grace. Look at what it says in chapter 4 and verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Where did he go to school? How did he learn to preach? He was a carpenter, a son of a carpenter. Man, this guy has said some gracious things. I, I, what was it that he said? He talked about it being the time of salvation. He talked about it being a time when the gospel would be given to the poor and that the brokenhearted would be healed and liberty would come to captives. And the blind would receive sight, and those who are oppressed would be liberated. And it's the acceptable time of the Lord. They loved that message of grace until he made application. Because he goes on, as they compliment him about, man, what a gracious sermon. Love it. Then Jesus said, well, let me tell you what that means. What I mean by grace is, you remember in the Old Testament, there were many widows in Israel. And yet, there was only one that um, was helped miraculously. And she was a Phoenician woman. She wasn't even of Israel. Oh, and do you remember all the lepers that existed at one time in Israel? Of all those lepers, there was only one that was healed. And you know what? He was Syrian. He wasn't even of Israel. You know what Jesus does? He preaches a message of grace and then points to people that they wanted to exclude. And he said, no, I'm talking about them. I'm talking about people who are outside of Israel, that God will be gracious to them. They liked his sermon before they knew his application. When he explained what he was saying, then they said, we got to kill this guy he 's so far off base he doesn 't know what he 's talking about. When they heard it, they rose up to thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the bow, uh, brow of a hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down off the cliff. they're going to kill him because of his sermon, that they liked until they understood what he was saying. that 's a point that I think we need to be taken to consideration. We love the message of grace. We want grace preached. But when it is preached, do we ever have trouble with the application of it? Have you ever known anybody to draw their circle too tight? And they only want to include certain people that think exactly like them on certain issues. And might God's circle be a little bit bigger than what some have tried to do? I'm not suggesting we throw away with boundaries. God made boundaries, but I also know people have pulled those boundaries in so tight and so small, and they're, well, if, if you do something a little bit different, they don't, they don't like that because they, they, they want it to be this, and the Lord says it's this. Jonah had a problem with God's grace. He was told to go preach to Nineveh, and I've heard sermons, in fact, I've said them myself, and I talked about why Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to go. I mean, it's like going to Iraq, and an American going to Iraq, and preaching to Saddam Hussein at the time. You know, who wants to do that? You're going to get yourself killed. And and I've heard all these sermons about Jonah being afraid to go preach. That wasn't it. We've made that one up. You know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach? It had nothing to do with being afraid. He tells us why in Luke cha- or in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, I'll tell you why I didn't want to go. I'll tell you why I got on that ship and went the other direction. Because I knew you were a gracious God and you would forgive them. That's why he didn't want to go. He had a problem with God's grace. He said, God, I know you're gracious and I don't like these folks and I don't want them to have your grace and so I'm going to try to run from my duty. Don't be Jonah. Don't fight with God's grace. God is gracious. He's brought liberty to the captives. He's come to set us free. Let Him do that. And don't be stingy. And don't begrudge the the reaches of God's grace. And then here's the fourth thing, or the fifth, final one. Jesus didn't give up. After being praised, wow, what a preacher. Whoa, wait a second. What What'd you just say? And they want to take, and they do, they drag them. You know, I've had people come out and say some really mean things to me through the years, you know, at the door. Um, That could be a lesson in and of itself right there. I I could tell you some of those. But anyway, I've had people say a few things that weren't very nice. I've never had anybody drag me to the edge of a cliff and want to throw me off. But that's what they were doing to Jesus. And that would be enough to make you rethink what you're doing. Am I cut out for this? Do I really want to do this? Is this what? Man, I, you know, I'm just the messenger, and you, you're all on me. I don't like that. Well, no, it's not pleasant. But there's a job to be done and when they took jesus and i don't know i don't understand how this happened because i know what it says they took him to the cliff and they were going to throw him off and it just says in verse 30 that he passed through the midst of them and went on his way i wish i could have seen it i don't know what that means uh, did did something miraculous happen did you know did he go invisible on them you know what 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 happened i don't know all i know is that They didn't throw him off, and he just passed right through their midst and went on his way. But listen, he went on his way, and what did he do? I quit. Is that the way? I mean, this is one of his first... He's He's been a carpenter. He's just starting out his preaching ministry. And this is what they do to you when they hear a sermon they don't like? Here's what the text says, verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. He was still going about what his custom was. Jesus went to synagogue on Saturday, and he taught. And he continued to do it even when people didn't like what he had to say. The Bible tells us that we have a responsibility to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season. Preach when people don't like what you're going to have to say. And and that's not just for preachers. That's for you. You're going to stand up for the truth even when your friends don't? Are you going to be heard even when other people are talking and, and maybe dogging the truth? Will you stand up in defense of it? That's what he calls us to. That's what Jesus did. And we need to have that same uh, kind of tenacity. Don't just quit preaching because things get hard. Don't quit teaching people because they don't want to hear it. Jesus didn't quit, and so in this story, and that's that's as far as I want to go with it. But in this text, I want to bring Jesus front center, and this is who he was, and this is what he did. And we should have no need to be embarrassed by Jesus. Let's put him out front because let's lift him up and magnify him before the world. And when we do, people will come to love him, those who love God. And and without magnifying him and talking about him and living as he calls us to live and trying to be his disciples, some people will never know who he was. They'll never know how good he was. They'll never never know the risks that he took for our sake. They'll never know the sacrifices that he made. They'll never know how much he loves them. So let's be disciples of Jesus. Let's magnify Jesus before the world. Let's help others to see how good he was. And let's be committed as disciples to walk in his footsteps... To have the courage to do the things that he did. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not yet a disciple of Christ. Maybe it's because, I, I don't know, how do you do that? What's it, what's it mean? You just make a decision? What, what does that do? Well, here's what Jesus said. He commissioned his apostles in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. He said, I want you to go into all the world and, and I want you to make disciples. And here's how you do it. You baptize them and you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's how you become a disciple. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus and become more and more like him, then do that. Be baptized tonight and, and obey whatever he calls you to do. That's what we're trying to do. We, we're we not perfect. We make mistakes. But he was perfect and we're trying to model our life after him. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, obey the gospel tonight. And if you are a child of God, a disciple of his and you've fallen down and you haven't been what you ought to be, and you want to do better, and you say, I want to do better tonight. Starting tonight, I want to draw a line in the sand, and today is the line of demarcation. I want to come home. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing. Now, Nice. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.